Hi, and welcome to Making Sense of It with me, Emma Kenny. And me, Peter Smith. Just whack my hand really hard then with my killer nails that I probably shouldn't have because I'm so clumsy. Uh, what do you whack it on? Just a chair randomly. I was yeah. putting my mobile phone down there because I'm looking for holidays. Yeah, I'm bleeding too. Well, I've got developed a blister. I'm bleeding profusely. No, but I really have developed a blister, whereas you just haven't done what you've just said. I know. But I have developed a random blister for no apparent reason. I've not burnt myself. It happens every few years. I get like a weird blister. It bursts, and then I have like some pigment just left, and like a little oh, hole. So if any of you are dermatologists out there and understand what's going on, and whether I am just going to blister up and pop in the end, please write to us below while subscribing to see how long it takes before... I end up just a big sack of steamy water. Big sack of steamy water. Well, you know something, they feel a bit hot, don't they, when you burst them? Yeah, they do, actually. I haven't had a blister for a while. Anyway, we're digressing here. We haven't even uh, said hello. So, so, yeah. so, obviously, we were going to start doing this regularly again. And that didn't happen. So, here we are trying to get back on track. Yes, we're going to try and make sense of some of it. Um... Well, we're having a job making sense of anything at the moment in our own lives, oh, so... Oh, God, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, we can maybe uh, chat about that and see if anybody else has been through the same sort of situation. Isn't life weird? Like, we won't allow people to ever say the words, oh, it can only get better, because the minute that they start to say it, I need to literally rip their vocal cords from the mouth for fear that they actually say that to the universe and immediately the universe is like, <laughs> mate, I even got started. Yeah. Throw some more at you. Yeah. I mean, positive, you know, we're still positive through all of the stuff that the, you know, and it's like, you know, you can be, like you say, like people with this secret and all the universe and like, if you ask for it, it'll come, you know, you can still keep doing that, you know, not with the secret stuff, but you know, just, just positivity. Yeah, I don't because if you let yourself... any of the secret stuff, no, as you know. No, no, so no, but if you get yourself don't sucked bring into that the... up to me across the table when <laughs> you think you're meant to know me, and yet that's one of my No, you know, I don't, I don't mean the secret well, reading no, the book. I mean, because I thought you... basically the secret's just general knowledge, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's, it's just common sense, sorry, not general knowledge. You know, just, it's not, just, though, is it? Just think positive. It's all a multitude the time. of contradictions. Yeah, true. Because if you are somebody who has read The Secret and you're an untouchable in India, and you read it and go, oh, I visualise not having an utterly crap life where I'm culturally devoid of rights and mm. have to do the worst, lowest of the low jobs just because, I don't know, 3,000 years ago somebody created this stupid system, yeah. then it would work. You mentioned go, that. You mentioned that before, actually. And yeah. someone came on and said, they don't exist anymore, which is a lie because it is... The caste the system yeah, doesn't cast, exist. Yeah. Get over yourself, matey. I know. I'm, do you remember someone? Oh, hang on a minute. Should we have a look at this? Just for the person, if they desire, if they want to watch the caste system. Well, there was something on the news not long back oh, about a woman just, who married a man, at, and the man was in a the caste system. That's right. He, they murdered him. They murdered him. Mm -hmm. But let's just have a look. Okay. <laughs> the caste system system divides Hindus into four main categories: Brahmins, can't pronounce the next one, begins with a K, Vaishyas, and the Shudras. Many believe the groups originated from Brahma. Is it like carpenters creation. However, let's find a little bit more out about that, children. So, we have, and also there's the Deliots, which they've missed off there. And they're the outcasts, otherwise known 
as the, the untouchables. untouchables. But those four main categories that were just said clearly mean that they don't even make the list. That's how much of a system there is. There's a list of a caste system, and they don't even include one of them because they're so outcast. Mr. doesn't exist mm. anymore. And Kevin Costner's not one of them. Yep, so basically, off you go. There you go. It's got all of this, and it just basically means that the caste work, it dictates almost every aspect of Hindu religious and social life. Um, rural communities, it affects obviously more now, and often criticised for being unjust and regressive. It remained virtually unchanged for centuries, so obviously it has changed with modern experience. But still, whilst the independent India's constitution banned discrimination on the basis of caste in an order to correct kind of political injustice, unfortunately, it still occurs. So that you know. I've got the, uh, you know the perfect solution. What's yeah. the perfect solution? Everybody should just be made to pay more taxes and yeah, no, should just give it to the I was, was going to say, just give them all the secret to read. <laughs> no, give them all the secret to read, this obviously. obviously should isn't never it? be allowed to yeah. be in politics. But... What's that, Prime Minister Smith? Well, I've got a solution to world poverty. This little book here will resolve everything. Yes. Just add another book that's ruined people's lives to the list sorry if you like the secret i'm just being particularly harsh on it because uh i think god negativity i'm not negative i'm realistic i'm dressed as a hobo so i can see what i want at the moment i literally have been running about all morning and that's been our lives yeah so for anybody who wants to catch up with us not that you will when we started trying to make sense of it at the beginning, it was just about mindless banter and a chat around our lives and you've been with us on that journey as we've crashed through different scenarios including going into administration coming out of administration to some degree and to some degree starting again keeping going even if it's in a different juncture oh. that makes sense or no probably won't make sense to me either for a while but then after all of that my dad decided to go and get really seriously unwell and nearly die he did and i know that's nothing big in the scheme of things because like Everyone's dad gets unwell and nearly dies, and dies at some point. I'm not going to be anything but pragmatic over it. But it was bloody exhausting, wasn't it? It was. It was something that's really opened my eyes to um, really empathise. Sympathise as well, I think, really, you know, with... Mental illness. Mental illness. Not not just mental illness. I mean, I already did, you know, but it's it's, it's made me compulsory dig deeper into it, like, within my human self, you know, within the yeah. nature that I come... The, the, my being, really, and, and I've sat and thought about it and just looked at it and been taken aback by it and watched and then realised how much... When, when I always used to hear people say, whether it be TV or interviews or in the papers or in the news or, or families or whatever you see on, on social media, you know, my mum and dad or my dad or somebody in my family's got mental health or someone's living in dementia and their carer... Alzheimer's, you know, and, and it's just like we've experienced sort of a, a, a clip, like a, just a, a snippet of what it's like to live on a constant day-to-day basis with somebody with a mental illness such as, you know, which sends it to psychosis, really, so like sort of Alzheimer's, uh, uh, dementia, uh, anything that goes into delivery, you know what I mean, uh, even schizophrenia, and it's just... Absolutely. Well, it was take two for me because I had it 20 years ago as well. Yeah, so, yeah so, so you've, you've experienced it already. So for me, on a personal level, it's just been, it's exhausting on the outside, but you do it because you, you go on to, uh, you know, you could become not a robot, but you go on to sort of an autopilot to sort it because you, you, that's what love does, you know. And, and yeah, to, but I don't know. I think um, 
it's just made me feel really sad. Oh, God, it's made yeah. me feel really sad for lots of reasons. And I know that it's like completely appropriate, my sadness. And it's not just like a sadness for my dad, really. It's like a global sadness because I think about the fact that, quick overview, my dad about six weeks ago got a problem, urinary tract infection. And a lot of guys, if you're listening to this and you're a guy who's classed as elderly, I know that being over 65 is not elderly. I appreciate that. But, you know, in the medical terms hell i want to have a baby and they call me a geriatric mother so it's just the way the system works isn't it hasn't caught up with the fact that we all live way longer now but my dad went into hospital just to kind of get sorted out because he needed to have a catheter hiya poppy he needed to have a catheter fitted because he was just really struggling to pee and most men who get to a certain age with prostrate it becomes an issue doesn't it so he went in and kind of they've put in this temporary catheter, which he could kind of use himself. And this infection just didn't seem to be going. But then actually what we started to notice was my mum rang me and my mum was a little bit impatient. Right? I always say to Pete, it's in my genetics. He knows what he can look forward to in the future. He's been watching my mum doing it right now <laughs> but I have an impatient gene I do try to live by the ver you know the whole verse patience is the gift of patience I've got as far as patience is the gift of, and then I, then I can't get any further at the moment but nonetheless I believe it's patience is the gift of patience and I will try and I'm a lot more patient than my mother but I think there's a genetic decline I think probably in the next 15 yeah. years I'll grow more and more and more critical and naughty. And I say that word because my grandma Bolton lived till 95 and I can actually reinforce the knowledge there that she did indeed become cantacarous, incredibly nasty and very naughty at times. She was also wonderful, loving and beautiful. Well, but, well, but, well, I'd like to put in there just, me, just for a quick second. It just means that luckily for you, Myself being your husband yes, is a extremely you're needy. A massive doormat. <laughs> I'm fully That's needy. Right. I'm proper needy and I want a spoon. Yeah, and this is the thing though, the fact that you're needy is why my father's in such a bad place at the moment, because he's also needy and my mother's massively critical and rejective in certain ways, which is what he doesn't need at the moment. But nevertheless, we're digressing. We're digressing into my fabric of my genetic DNA and family tree and genographic history. So bringing it back to reality. We get this phone call from my mum and she's basically saying, oh, your dad's had a bit of funny do today. And my dad is kind of anxious, but I live with anxiety. I think most, do most people live with anxiety these days? I don't think I've met anyone with any responsibility in the past 20 years who doesn't suffer from anxiety. I, 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 I'm, I'm at the belief that there's a lot of people out there that don't know they've got anxiety, but they've, they've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you know, get pissed sort of like, or you smoke weed or you take or, drugs or just, whatever. Yeah, I think the, shout at your wife, shout at your husband, shout at your kids. But that, I think it's anxiety. Yeah, you know, I think it's like anxiety. wake up in the morning with dread. Oh, that's me. Like, oh, no, another day of like, oh, getting to death as quickly as we possibly can. And for me, it's just like dread in the morning. And then like mm. I get myself out of bed and I'm fine. It's just like that instant kind of reflection and recognition of feeling overwhelmed for a moment just before you kind of get a chance to put things into gear. Yeah. But anyway, hopefully it'll ever overtake me. So I get this phone call, my mum and dad are having a bit of a bad time. Mum thinks it's because she's, he's on these tablets because one of the things that I wasn't aware of, and I've worked in mental health for a very long time, but I genuinely didn't know that there was a link between antibiotics and anxiety. It just wasn't something that had ever entered my mind. But this particular type of very strong antibiotic he was on, it can cause anxiety. And my father, 20 years ago, when he had a breakdown, suffered from persecutory thoughts and also deep paranoia and psychosis. And whilst it was one period of his life, never experienced it again, mum said he started to 
act similarly. And, you know, the minute that somebody says that to you, and anybody who's listening to this right now, any of you who've got a family member who's affected by psychosis, like, I totally, totally hear it. I hear you, and I hear how difficult it is. And if you mm. are personally like somebody after I'd talked about it on a live, got in touch and said, you know, I suffer from psychosis regularly and I just wanted to wrap my arms around them because it's like such a difficult, painful, real experience for the sufferer and equally very challenging for those who support them. So long story short, I'm thinking, oh Jesus, and I know this sounds really, really awful, but I'm thinking, Jesus, please do not let it be the psychosis again. Let him not be suffering from psychotic depression. Let it be a reaction to the drugs and just had that hope that pain as well in the same moment of I don't want to do this again I don't want my dad to fall again it was like a really really hard yeah. hard 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 place to go last time you know he was committed and it was awful and I had to fight to get him out and it was really really difficult see I don't even just I don't even just heard the, the, the sort of stories from you about that you see so I wasn't prepared to I wasn't prepared for anything like that you know so you know and it was, yeah, it was sorry awful. I put it in no it's fine but, exactly yeah. it wasn't so anyway long story short they tried to give him this catheter. I get a phone call off Pete. I'm in London. I hadn't really wanted to go. Dad hadn't been very well. And he just said it's not good. And I'm not going to go into the details of how my dad ended up in hospital. But suffice to say, it wasn't nice how he ended up in hospital. Um, and the consequence of that was we arrived. And halfway home on the train, I rang my mum and I just said, Mum, is it sepsis? And my mum thought that they'd have checked for that because obviously when you first think about sepsis, you just think about infection. Yeah. You don't realise that sepsis isn't an infection. Sepsis is your immune system attacking itself. So when we were getting told that my dad was clear of infection, when you took him to the emergency doctors a few days earlier, said, no infection, they were yeah. like, there's no infection. So we were like, cool, come off the antibiotics, which would have been fine if he hadn't gone into septic shock. Yeah. So we arrive at the hospital. I get there after my mum, my brother and my husband have been there Pete was already there everyone's like a bit dazed and confused it was indeed sepsis I kind of thought about it on the train home and I was like I think it's sepsis I think this could be septic shock got there and my dad was unconscious he'd had to be sedated really heavily and um yeah his kidneys were packed in yeah down to 30 percent um but with respect to the doctors you know you go in and you get told that your father's just literally completely unconscious it's been a really hideous hideous episode getting him to that hospital what happened before was not good no and everyone is very very traumatized i've never seen my brother cry i've never seen my brother cry and not because my brother's weak or alternatively strong it's just my brother is a very private man isn't he, is, he? he's yeah. a very very empathic man he's a very compassionate man but he's a very private man i think the the sort of the, the all of it including exhaustion from the just think it was seeing his dad like that yeah yeah (laughs) you know you become a a child again and you want to protect your your parent and that was probably for me one of the most challenging parts of speaking to my brother on the phone on the way home when he burst into tears and I was like this doesn't ever happen this does not happen so I knew it was bad got back walked in and this John consultant John John. and I'll not forget that I'll not forget the kindness because we had a standing joke in our family that if we ever get knocked down and taken to our local hospital, Fairfield, we're going to ask them during however close we are to death to please take us anywhere but. And I have to say that that was completely unqualified in our experience that we've just had there. Mm. Dad arrived on the medical intervention ward and the first thing that they did when they got the results was just walk over to me and my mum and just said, 
this is a medical matter, it's not psychiatric. Yeah. And we were like, what? Yeah, it was, it was... And he said it's delirium. It's associated with his septic shock. He's got sepsis, his kidneys have gone down to 30%, and, you know, we need to get them functioning again. And I can still remember, like, in that moment thinking, oh, my God, is my dad going to die? Mm. And just, like, what does that mean? Because I know kidneys start working again, but I was like, what does this mean? Yeah. And I just said, oh, my God, it's sepsis. Because all you hear at the moment is sepsis kills you. In fact, I was on this morning last weekend. Yeah, well, I the guy there I'd was like nearly died of sepsis and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, you walk into any ward in a hospital now and it's on the, the boards, one of the main boards, as you walk into the wards, it's all about what to do and how to look at sepsis and all the different stages of it. But, but the irony what? is this, this consultant, John, walked up to us, told us it was sepsis, said his kidneys were done in and I was like, oh my God. And he just went, oh, don't worry, 40% of the people on this ward are all have with sepsis, he'll be fine. And I can remember like, what a brilliant thing to say you know yeah. like so he said we'll get them working again we'll sort it out so we at that point feel massively relieved and then my dad has 48 hours completely unconscious sedated yeah, they yeah. didn't know whether he's going to stop breathing because they'd given him so much sedation it was really bad yeah. and for two days he didn't do anything and then he woke up the third day and he didn't speak to anyone for like 48 hours today. No. And he just looked at us like he hated us and like he was really angry and like he was really scared and he was really afraid and that we had to feed him by hand. And it was a really unusual set of circumstances because I'd never felt yeah. that before. When he was ill last time, he had persecutory thoughts, but the one thing that saved him from those was the family. Whereas this time the family were his yeah. harm, kind of his concern. And he was so full of this delirium and... Anyway, long story short, it wasn't great. The biggest thing for me that's come out of it is when I was on that ward, we were on Ward 24, amazing nurses, like just such lovely human beings. Yeah. The doctors were transient, you know, they weren't constantly there, but they were always very kind. The main emphasis was get dad home because the delirium will get better as he gets home. But, oh my God. The work. The, the work. mental mm. health service in hospital these days is disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. It is. And There's... I can't believe that Jeremy Cunt, you know, because that's what he is, yeah. can have gone on to continue a role, importantly in our government, higher even than where he was, mm. being diplomatic with other countries, etc. when he has done this to the mental health mm. service. So, like, so that's, I, you know, just for you to say that word is, 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 is yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's... it's 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 takes something to use. It's his own fault for having yeah. a word that rhymes uh, with it. Uh, the budget next week, they've said, oh, is it tomorrow? Oh, no, it's put, it's I know, he's like, oh, we're going to put so much, 2.7 billion. He's not uh, there anymore. 2.7 billion towards mental health, you know. But it's a little is, too late, really. It is a little, it's you know? not just that. I went onto that ward, and it was this Ward 24. It's a medical ward. They were all kind of medical issues. There's a guy across from us, a young lad, actually, 38. He'd um, had a heart attack. Yeah. There was another guy who'd had a drain on his neck from brain Fluid injury. But there was a lad next to us in the bed and he has psychosis, proper full-form psychosis from schizophrenia, from drugs. And he was this lost boy yeah. and he was just in that bed and the nurses were doing wonders. They were just sitting with him, they were taking him out for cigarettes and all of that, but there was nothing for him. The team that were meant to come didn't come. Again, no. I know this sounds really ridiculous and I said to you, I have never ever, I am a Z-list celebrity, right? As far as it goes in the scheme of things, I'm known in my little field and I have my nice little jobs on TV, but I'm nobody in that respect. But I'm somebody compared to a person who, when you'd go on Google, you can't see them coming up. Mm. So 
I have never used the term Google me and I've used that term so many times because I've needed to get people to do something which is really awful that you've got to do that because like number one I'm doing something that somebody else can't do and getting a service because I've got to threaten them in that way but the biggest it's thing sort of you do anything you can though don't you for your family know, and, it's, and it's wrong there's, so, there's such a letdown within the system which is I mean even the nurses and doctors who were fantastic they were all board, saying they were saying you know we don't have any training or equipped we have little bits and bobs but not for like serious mental health issues you know and there's nobody on this ward who's a permanent fixture who looks and that's at- all that she said most of her admissions end up with some kind of psychological yeah. issue and they were amazing those nurses like they were just like they weren't trained and you could tell they weren't trained because they weren't trying to kind of counsel them they were just trying to be friendly and, and it was they were lovely people um but and working hours got sent is yeah it's uh, an eye-opener as well isn't it just- and we got out of hospital eventually got out and then we just nursed my dad at home we've nursed my dad at home till now and um, he's just on the um he's seen a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel isn't he yeah seen a lot of light at the end of the tunnel it's just it's just, it's just trying to turn them all on at the same time you know like well the biggest problem is he can't understand and i think this is the thing for people who've ever suffered from kind of um delirium psychosis any kind of mental health breakdown you feel the mental health more than anything like, it doesn't matter if your leg's hanging off, if your brain's telling you that the people around you hate you, you feel mm. that more than anything. So for my dad, he's still dealing with the post-trauma of feeling all of that persecution. It's real for him. Well, he woke, he was because he was sedated for like two, almost three days. As soon as he woke up out of that sedation, he woke up into a, a walking, living nightmare. Yeah. So it's like, it's All like wake, hallucinations, yeah. physical, yeah. you know. Doesn't know how he got in hospital no. and then came round into a delirium. What he it's, thought was a psychiatric ward. Yeah. He thought he was back oh, in a psychiatric God, I mean, ward. I can't, it's like being, you know, it's like when you see someone who's done like, a, who's gone, done drugs and gone, lost it a bit and gone like, you know, sort of LSD style, you know, and, and you just, I've seen it a couple of times and it's just sort of like, they think they're in a nightmare, a walking nightmare, but your dad woke up into it. Mm. And so that to him was real and I can't, I just can't fathom sort of because and he's told us that he was he felt like he was having these dreams, you know. So his body was picking up on things around him and making them into these. They weren't dreams; they were, they were auditory and hallucinations. visual hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. But he, he calls them dreams, and it was mm. just he was explaining something to us, and it was just terrifying to think that he was there with that. He did try to take responsibility for the first, second, and what he called the third war. <laughs> so he does feel that he was a yeah. negative influence in the world. And then on top of that, he did want to speak to the police because he wanted to admit to every crime that had ever been committed in the yeah. whole of the world. He was just really sorry for I all mean, the crimes. I mean, you know, I take the piss saying that, but, like, he thought that. I know, I know. He thought... He kept doing speeches yeah. about thanking our allies. Bless him. He thought I'd kidnap myself and come back as an undercover policeman with a time machine. Such a shame. Know. But anyway, we're not on the best side, but we're certainly on the better side. Yeah. But obviously it has been exhausting. And it's first world problems. I know like loads of people out there have this all the time as well. But it's just that sense of, you know, it really doesn't matter whether you've got the happiest life in the world or otherwise. If somebody in your breed gets sick, none of it matters. You know, like it's like none of yeah. none of this world to... that we've got mattered in those moments and like everything that you could trade, you trade instantly to make sure that person's okay. Yeah. And we've just kind of had to weather it through like most people do, but it has felt a little bit like, oh, but then, you know, you get these amazing moments as well. I get amazing moments where, 
no, dad's really, really sick. Mum's going out of her mind, thinking about how she can get this prostate sorted because the prostate's a big problem. My dad's really swollen. Anybody who's ever got a parent, uncle, brother, you know, partner who has a prostate issue, you know, there are these really, really invasive operations that can cause sexual dysfunction. I mean, what kind of guy wants erectile dysfunction? Like, nobody. So one of the problems you've got is getting men in to have these operations in any way. My mum, because she's a bit like me, find a solution. Yeah. <laughs> she found this, like, operation. was like, this has been trialled on the NHS um, called, like, a resin technique. It's steams the prostrate, would you believe? But it takes, like, 15 minutes, usually shrinks it to half the size, and guys just can go on the merry way with no problems. And it's amazing. Nice guideline approved last year, but really just spreading out now to people yeah. being trained in it. It's interesting. So we just like kind of tweeted the people who sell it to ask where the NHS hospitals were. Um, because it's not that we're not willing to pay for my dad. Of course we would have been, but my mum's like quite stoic, you know. That's why my kids go to state school. You know, we pay our rates and we, we, we honour the system and all of that. And she wanted to do it NHS and... So before we went and booked him in privately, we kind of got in touch with these guys and the sales director just got in touch, didn't he? He said, just give us your number and I'll tell you about it. So we rang him and he was just lovely. And he said, yeah. I, want you to put, I want to put you in touch with a guy called Professor Richard Hinley. Professor Richard Hinley, like, is at Basingstoke, but I think he's in Reading, the hospital. Yeah. And he's a really senior urologist. And like, literally, this guy has never met me. He doesn't know anything about me. And he just hears that my dad's in this state and he organizes to speak to my mum and dad just the week after my dad gets out of hospital. And like he called my dad and said, I'll do it for you. You know, we'll get an NHS referral, come to me. You know, as soon as a list place comes free, I'll get you on there. Or if I can't get you on my list, I'll put you on the list of one of the people I trust and I've sorted out. And yeah, they're just, he's just yeah. going to do it. And then he wrote to my parents afterwards, like from the NHS, just saying about understanding the distress and you sit there and you're just like, he didn't need to do that. And it had nothing to do with me being me. It had everything to do with him wanting to help my dad. You know, I'm completely out of the equation there. Yeah. But it was like, oh, in those minutes, you're like, how can we possibly screw with the NHS? It's got like this deep embedded kindness and compassion yeah. and vocation in it. And of course, it's so big. There's going to be letdowns and there's going to be, you know, malpractice. No, yeah, and there's going to be, you know, there's always going to be bad eggs within this. You know, but, but that's um, like anything, isn't it? Yeah. But for the majority, it's a vocation where people work really hard because they care. Yeah. I, for one, uh, you know, think we're so lucky to have the NHS. So the guy from Resum who I got in touch with, the initial guy, Fraser Murphat, he actually wrote me a really lovely thing and he just said, you know, the NHS gets a lot of stick, but genuinely the truth is that underneath it, you know, people like Richard, they just absolutely care. You know, they really, really care. Yeah, and um, yeah, help people. it's just been it's been absolutely brilliant. So it's been a hugely, you know, it's amazing. We'll have to we'll, we'll keep everybody updated with with how it goes because he's hopefully going to be in soon and getting this. And then you know, it might, if, it, if it goes well and which with fingers crossed it's going to, you know, and it it does the job. It's gonna if anybody out there is, no, it's going to hopefully is. stop my dad never going through this again. Well, yeah, but there's people out there hopefully not hopefully, but people who are listening hopefully, you know, there might be some people uh, that come across us that. I've never heard of it before, you know, yeah. and they might be like, oh, hang on a minute, my dad or me or, you know, someone I know could do that. And they can then, so it's the bit, the more sort of press it gets. These the better. Of, yeah, the better these new sort of techniques that are coming out and hopefully saving lives and people's um, way of living, isn't it? So. God, you used to know about mental health, haven't we, though? Because it's just like, it is just such an epidemic now in the Western world. And I say the Western world because it's definitely more of an epidemic in the Western world. And it's almost like, 
you know, we know what we're doing wrong. We know that we're spending too much time indoors. We know that we don't do enough exercise. We know that we spend too much time on screens. We know that mm. we don't spend time with each other in community. Like, we know it. And it's the one thing that, for example, will change the way that we feel mentally. Mm-hmm. And yet, for some reason, we just don't seem to do anything about it. It's weird, isn't it? Even me, like yesterday, we got up and we went out and we went to the late districts and stuff. And it was just such a simple thing to do. But yeah. It was, it was a great, it was great that, it's getting out in the fresh air and just going for a walk, you know, even if you do like stop off every now and then for a cup of coffee and Mm. just sort of sit down and chat, you know, with the people that are around you, love you, or just friends or anybody, you know, that it does, you know, I always used to think, ah, well, people always say that, get yourself out for a walk, get some fresh air or whatever, you know, I'd just be like, what's that going to do? You know, like you, you sort of push that now like for yeah, anxiety. Yeah, I don't do it enough. I don't do it yeah, enough. Yeah, but you, you know, and you tell people, and it is. I mean, we got home yesterday from having that walk, and it was just all together with the boys. We had a laugh. Got your mum, your dad out. You know, your mum. Uh, you know, it is beautiful up there. You know, just where was it? Arnside we went yeah. to. Just to walk along, greatest places to eat. Um, in Beth and we ate and it's just it's just one of those you know you need to listen to yourself and uh, and stop and, and think yeah people I'm thinking oh, no, it's not going to do anything that but it is and, and like, listen to other people then listen to yourself and get outside go and do something you know listen to not so much well, experts but people who have been through it you know and it is um, interesting how just getting fresh air or going for a walk or sitting and chatting with somebody can help you out with anxiety and if you've got mm. mental health issues I mean you are right I mean it's, the mental health situation at the moment is that I think I mean what it's years ago in Victorian times people locked just locked up man oh, it's gone crazy it's gone loopy lock him up lock him up you know labelled as a crazy guy you know but it's, it's depression I mean even people were gay lock him up you know so my uncle Derek was talking about that the other day he was saying that so my uncle Derek didn't tell any of us that he'd got married to his partner. <laughs> Did he? No. Just decided to tell me, drop it into conversation when I was having a chat with him the other day. Um, which is fine. It's completely up to him, but we're not going to let him get away with that. No, we're not going to let him get away with it, no. But um, he was kind of like, that kind of comes down to like a really specific issue, which is that he's never really felt it was acceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's never really felt it was acceptable, even though we're like entirely cool with it in our family. The truth is that he went and spoke to the doctor about it when he was a young man and the doctor tried to set him up with ECT, so electroconvulsive therapy. I think his experience of him growing up being a, a gay man in the times where it was considered... Well, my Uncle Peter, not that he's my real uncle, but my, my Uncle Derek's first mm. partner, Peter, who <coughs> sadly passed away last year. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Peter was kind of quite extravagant and flamboyant. I met him a couple of times, yeah. So when Peter met my uncle, he was an estate agent. My uncle worked for the Halifax. So when Peter met my uncle, he was kind of quite openly gay Mm. at a time when my uncle wasn't openly gay. And my uncle Derek had a number plate and it had men. It was just the area that the code that it had men and I can remember my uncle Peter going I knew them I was like oh, bless him that he knew them that he'd seen him and that was it and they were together a long time and they were friends till my uncle Peter died but obviously it was never really an overt mm. conversation it was only when I got to like 11 and I outed him to the whole family as in get it qualified that he was 
And even though we're entirely fine as a family, I think just the the power of society really did weigh heavy for him. Yeah. But we're not going to let him get away with it. But the point is that he was saying that exactly what you said, you know, the response when he said he found men attractive. You know, imagine going and seeing a doctor and talking to them and trying to confide in them. And he said the doctor firstly just looked embarrassed and then secondly suggested he go and have ECT. Yeah. Which is like hideous. Like basically it's a stop away. Don't get me wrong, by the way. If you're listening to this and you've been told that you should have ECT for depression, and um, these days it's pretty damn amazing and it can be really, really helpful. But we're talking about back in the day where you can't cure homosexuality. It's, it's not a disease. <laughs> it's not a mental illness. It's just a predilection for a particular sexual attraction. So it's ludicrous to try to no, heal it. Um, Don't even get me started. I actually feel really, really sad like for Uncle Derek and anybody else who's been, who grew up you know, gay in those times. It's just really, really sad. And I feel like I just want to... Every time he talks about it, I just want to cuddle him and go, oh man, you know, like, just because well, it's, it's sad, just, but it's not just, as sad because now he can, like, be, well, in a civil partnership or marriage with yeah. his partner and his partner gets his pension. So he's lived to see a lifetime where when he was young, he was going to be sent to a psychiatric place for ECT mm. and now he's allowed to legally be with his partner. Yeah. So in some ways, the world's changed hugely. Yeah, he's still fine. He's still, he's still. Is it in, in, in those need to, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's just think about it. Not with me, does it? Not with not no, with you, actually. No, 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 but it's just like, gosh, I mean, just imagine. It's quite naughty it's with like me. It's like post-traumatic stress disorder, isn't it? PTSD, in a way, you'd be like, you know, you, the person, you, you weren't allowed to express the way that you loved somebody. You know, it's like, what? Like, I can't get my head around it. Well, it happens can, every single day of the week. I know, in Russia and everywhere, you know, and, and bloody Afghanistan, whatever, you know, and it's just. It happens every day of the week for women all over the world. Yeah. It's still pretty much profoundly embedded in culture that we don't allow ourselves to have an expression of what we really want so it's very common but what i'm saying is for him it's something that's gone from being illegal he was born in a time when it was illegal yeah so now it's something that he can actually legally be with a partner this is this is this is why i'm such a fan of millennials and centennials and all these youtubers and all these kids coming through and expressing themselves and that you know, some people call them snowflakes, but they're not. Or, you know, but but they're not even even before, like after that, the young younger ones, sort of five, six, seven, eight, nine. The way that they're being brought up now by a majority of the parents. Obviously, you're going to get the, uh, the the parents that don't necessarily teach them the right from wrong, and they have got a lot of racist and homophobic chat stuff specifically within the house. You know what I mean? So that it goes on to them. But I'm seeing a lot more, more and more and more. There's no difference in young people, the colours, the way they are, their sexuality. You know, like our kids, you know, they're just hanging around. But they don't care about the different colours that they are and where they come from, the backgrounds, you know, what religion they are, whether they're into, you know, going out with boys or going out with girls or transgender. You know, it's just becoming, fingers crossed, the future is quite bright when it comes down to young people treating each other differently it's just you a whole so. new breed it's, a whole, it's like a new breed of, of no it's not it's a, it's a western liberal breed and unfortunately yeah. western liberal breed exists in very only only very western liberal areas yeah so let's not get carried away in the world i mean you know yeah i mean but well, not even in the uk there no. are loads of really 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 aggressively right-wing people mm. and aggressively fundamental 
I'm on the bottom. Yeah, you know, you can't. You know, the thing is, for every bit of liberal, if you for every bit of liberal, I get what you're saying. I, I completely embrace that, of course. But for every bit as liberal, you get something as hardline and far right. For every bit as moderate, you get something fundamental and broken. Yeah. You know, they exist in synergy together. We are nowhere near in a position where our children's generation or their children's generation is ever going to wake up to a utopian experience yeah. where people accept each other. In fact, I've been I, would reading say, the <laughs> I would say that we're actually very much in a position where we have literally no idea what's next. Like, mm. you know, that whole idea, I am which we that. want to be the way, like our kids being colorblind and acknowledging that everybody has rights. And of course, that's what our yeah. children feel like because they've been lucky enough to have a privileged experience where they live with the people that they surround themselves with, with the school that they go to and the fact that there's so many different races and so different socioeconomic experiences. So they've never really had to think yeah. that much about that diversity, but that changes as people get older. But more importantly, it's about the fact that, you know, if you actually look at fundamentally what's happening right now, right, we are at a position where we know that global warming is going to destroy the planet. Not terrifying. And nobody's doing anything about it, really, as far as the government goes, because nobody really cares about the next generation. In the same breath, we've got complete fundamentalism in certain um, areas, which is scary, and that is basically because of what, again people like Blair did and people like Bush did so mm. again you can trace it back to western bloody roots but the point is that the fractures in society are hemorrhaging you've got Tony Robinson going and getting a million pounds Tommy to Robinson. go yeah Tommy Robinson sorry to go <laughs> to get a million <laughs> sorry Tony you'd be very inspiring I'm sure um, and you'd get more than a million pounds you'd probably charge a million pounds yeah. for half an hour with you over dinner but um, he's getting a million pounds he's for getting, just to go for a tour in America but what I'm saying is that represents is he allowed to go to America I wouldn't have thought he'd have been allowed to go that's crazy that he can get into America why he's got bloody what do you call it? Criminal records and stuff? No, why? Why? Well, oh, what criminal records has he got? I'm sure he's He went to prison and what's happened recently? I got out. Well, They've thrown it out. Yeah. I thought but more you importantly, had, like, you have, like, for Well, more one, do you think that President Trump gives a shit whether he got thrown out? Oh, he'd love him over there, wouldn't he? He's a white poster boy. Yeah. But the point is, he, right, is getting a tour of America under the guise that he's only an Islamophobe. He's not actually a person who's against race which I completely get Islam's not a race you know you can't say it's racism it's not racism it's religionism if yeah. anything it's yeah. idealism against it's host hostile idealism um, but it's real mm. and it's like don't get me wrong like I think it's all mental and I'm, I'm the first person you know, I'm so tired of being told I have to respect everybody's religion I don't respect anybody's religion I think religion's a bag of shit yeah, no. I think it's rubbish I don't care who gets pissed off listening to this I don't care. Religion does not exist. Religion is just a fabrication of somebody's mind it's deciding that that's the way it works. And knock yourselves out. Do yeah. it. Do what you want. Don't tell me I've got to respect it because I don't. Don't tell me I've got to respect it. I don't respect unicorns either. I don't respect fairies. Yeah. You know, just fuck off with it. But at the same time, I do respect the right to choose those things, right? So I don't respect religion. Mm -hmm. But I do respect the right to have that choice. I don't respect fundamentalism. I don't. Res I, I kind of don't respect orthodoxy. Orthodoxy again is one of those areas. It's just gone too far, and it just it restricts society. It doesn't build society and all that. But Tommy Robinson, Tony Robinson, Tommy Robinson, Tommy, Tommy Robinson. Robinson. I want to call him Tommy Tony. Robinson's busy call digging him and fields. Yeah. Um, but Tommy Robinson, <laughs> like he he like really is. No matter what, he everybody's kind of looking at him. <coughs> 
True. <coughs> that whole like white far right, particularly. I know that it's not just white people. I know there are loads of Asian and black and Chinese. I know there are Israelis and I know there are Turks. I know there are all loads of people who respect that person. I know that. Mm-hmm. He's not just got a rhetoric for white people. I appreciate that. But it's not okay the way that we allow people like that to have platforms that grow. Yeah, Based. well, because it's, it's, it's the same as the Andrew Chowdhury's his platform oh, that he used to it. have, you know. But it's it, the giving the media and the people are giving these people platforms, you know. Amgem should have been, you know, he, he shouldn't be here. No, 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 he shouldn't be here. He no, shouldn't no. be here. It's as simple as that. It's again, it's again, it's where the law and it's the government let it all down. And human rights gone mad. Yeah. If you believe that it's acceptable to blow people up or convince people to blow themselves up in this country, even if you're not directly responsible, but you've certainly been responsible in some kind of way towards that hate preaching, then you do not deserve to walk the streets. It's no. as simple as that. And because you're dangerous. Whether it's human rights or not, you deserve to be locked up in a, a room. But then I feel like that a bit about Tommy and the fact that not in the same way. I know that Tommy's absolutely not trying to cause that kind of thing. Mm. But he is a spokesperson that then it kind of disseminates into that and it becomes something. Mm. Like, by the way, if you are religious and you feel really angry with the fact that I don't believe in religion, I'm really sorry, but like it would be that if I appreciated your religion, I'd have to deny everybody else's, so... I just yeah. believe in faith. Like, yeah, I believe in faith of like have something which is, you know... I believe in faith. I don't yeah. need to be promised. I don't need to be promised the next lifetime or be told that there's hell and, and damnation. I don't need any of that. Like, I'm here. I like... It's pretty amazing that I'm alive. I'll take that. That'll do me for faith. Well, we were chatting about that, you know. It's like, you know, you're a miracle already. Mm-hmm. You know, the millions and millions and millions of sperm, you know, and that egg, just at that time, for that month, of that one that was coming, you know, to... It just blows your mind, you know. And like, if people really think about that, that's all, you know. And then, it's, it's, as I say, it's like Ian Brown just brought that song, First World Problems, the song's called, you know. And yeah. some of his lyrics are like, it's just like, you know, you're living, you're breathing, you're alive. You you won the lottery. Well, we say won the lottery. Obviously, people are born into poverty. So they won the, lor- the lottery, but then in a tw- evil twist of faith, uh, a twi- twist of fate, it's, you've won the lottery and then gone straight into you know a horrible life you know but it's just you know I don't think you've won the lottery because you're born I think no the, the, the sperm hitting the egg you know no, millions I, and millions no, but, I think, I don't, but you haven't that's not because that you know what's happened there is you've got born and yes the statistical opportunity for you to be born I think that's what I mean the, the statistical thing is, it's like you know getting hit by lightning and, you know look. yeah, yeah. You can just like wrap it up in every way well, you want. You, the, you can call it the secret bollocks. It's luck. And don't get me wrong, like, I will be the first person to preach to anybody yeah. that, you know what, you can choose to be positive even when the shit is going down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, even yeah. when Pam was dying, you know, I would, I would look at her and I would think, you know, I would not trade that, you know? So I'm not going to get upset about it. No. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. get it. I get it. I get it. It's like, it's like. You can choose. You can you choose, can choose to, have to be. Yeah, you can choose to try and be positive through negative yeah. times of your life. And it's well, you can just accept to... that life is, is not about yeah. good or bad, is it? It's just no. about experience and all of that. But yeah, that's what does my head about the secret bollocks. Cause it's yeah. like, actually, you know what? I do believe that an untouchable on the streets, you know, has great faith and um, that they 
have a belief in something that's probably far deeper and meaningful than I'll ever believe in. So therefore, arguably, their wealth could be equally more than mine. And ironically, in the Western world where we think we're so lucky, yet we don't even go out in the day or talk to a stranger, maybe we're the ones who are, you know, poor. Mm. But certainly for me, some of the biggest problems that we've got at the moment in the world is that people are being given evidence and ignoring it. People are being misinformed by hate and believing it. Yeah. People are ignoring what makes us healthy. And then the system that we once built to provide for us in a way that could keep us safe is being eradicated and broken down. And for some reason, it's just falling on deaf ears and everyone thinks it's going to be all right because it won't affect us. Yeah. But I mean, do you, if it, do you, it feels like, you know, when you look at it deeper, and well, you don't even have to look deep on it, it just feels like it's 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 what what's what's the main thing underneath it. All this money, isn't it? Oh God! You know, and greed, money, and power. Money, power, and greed is what is stopping. You know, these things are literally coming down and punching us in the face and kicking us in the balls. You know, mm-hmm. the. It's like you when know. you look at what they did in Afghanistan. It was one of the. I think it's Afghanistan or is it Iraq? Just give me one second because I don't want to make this uh, make this correct, but it's a long time since I've studied this. So what is it? Is it's about it... the wheat. I think we've spoken about this before, not on a podcast, but as in like... Yeah, I don't know whether it was just... Iraq though or Afghanistan, but it's shocking. This is like utterly shocking and it kind of made me yeah. want Tony Blair to be Do you imagine, you know, imagine if there wasn't things like, I know it sounds silly, but things like YouTube or Netflix... You know, that are showing these documentaries that indie, indie uh, people have made, you know, and obviously you get like, you know, the big stars coming in and getting involved, which is fantastic, you know, DiCaprio and that. And and showing you, you know, and, and spending years making these docs, you know, and then still sometimes these people are just brushing them off. That's not real. So you're telling me that these people are crazy people who are spending years trying to get information on them meat industry milk industry you know world economy yeah it's scary you know terrorism bloody you know it's It's like when they say you know like if you just want to do one thing that can make a difference to the world just become vegetarian that is you know yeah (laughs) and you want to just do something that's really really simple i mean obviously i have those people listen to this that eat meat and they'll be like no no you know but yeah, but it is. It you know what? If you want to do I've, something yeah. that's going to help with the world and make yeah. a difference, that isn't actually yeah. too difficult. Just not saying uh, like jump straight into veganism. You know, we, you know, it's it's not easy. It, no, it, it isn't. But, it isn't. But just stop eating meat. And just yeah, see no, what it's happens. Iraq. Iraq. It's Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. scary. So I challenge you all: stop eating meat for three weeks to a month and see how you feel in your body, if anything, and then you'll have no guilt either. But that's another podcast. So basically, anybody who's younger, you probably won't have spent a great deal of time thinking about this. Anyone who's older probably knows more about it than me. But certainly for me, when I was a teenager, we started the war with Saddam Hussein, basically. And we invaded Iraq on the basis of a belief that they had uh, weapons of mass destruction. And under the weapons of mass destruction agreement, basically, if we believe that you were a country who has them without reason to have them or have them illegally... Um, and you haven't like been notifying people, whoever you should, in spite of the fact I'm sure we were the ones who were meant to have sold them to it. We basically went into the Gulf War and we literally ravaged that country, deposed Saddam Hussein. Obviously, Saddam Hussein ended up being killed by his own people. 
Yeah. But the consequence was that that's probably how we ended up at this ISIS scenario and all those things. Like it was, again, the West just screwing around. With actually, it turned out, yes, he was a dictator, but no, he didn't have masses of wep- ma- weapons of mass destruction. And also, to be honest, he was not as tyrannical as the people that have existed since, or actually before to some degree. So oh, there right. you go. That's a quick roundup. But one of the things that blew me away about kind of the way that money and greed and power manipulates the world is that there's a thing in wheat growing... I don't know the ins and outs of this. If somebody's a farmer, you'll know better. But basically, the way that the West uses wheat is you can only use it once. So, like, once the seed is used, you can't then get the seed again and use it again because presumably the chemicals that are used on it make it a problem. I don't know. But the consequence of that is that you can't use those resources again. You can't collect them. And actually, you get fined large amounts of money if you do. So... In Iraq, they had one of the most plentiful supplies of diverse wheat. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different types of wheat. Because obviously wheat grain can be used for so many different things, but like pasta would be an example. Um, But they had wheat that was just so diverse. After America took over, they basically made it illegal to farm all but four of these. And you also can't repropagate. So basically it's very expensive. And um, like 80% of the wheat now that is grown over there that is controlled by the US is, is, is pasta, white pasta, and they don't eat it. So like a, a country that was so rich in resources is now controlled poverty-wise and, and, and also poverty as in food-wise because of the West. I, I, I genuinely, like, honestly, openly didn't know that. Oh yeah, and I'm absolutely, like, we haven't chatted about that. I thought we'd chatted about this. Uh, I am absolutely blown away by they that. They had like, like the most rare. Oh, my God. And it destroyed them all. Has there been any documentaries on that? That's, that's just phenomenal. I don't know. But I, remember being, I remember reading about it and just being like, wankers. That's just blowing me away about that. That's, that is greed. That's just greed. It's, it's like... more than greed. It's corruption and control. And like that's the thing, you know, that people just... And I know that I could do so much more. Like, don't get me wrong, like, self-flagellation here as well, because I just know that, you know, I, I do my bit, you know. I don't walk past homeless people very often without trying to... I know. Brighten the day um, a little bit or have well, a chat. Like, yeah, I mean, but, we, you know, it's yeah. minor. And, like, me and Tide, my eldest son and our eldest son, we're obsessed with kind of trying to raise money so that we can start just some homelessness projects because it just breaks our heart that this is real in the UK today. And if I hear another person tell me that, you know, we're like, poor people like to live on the streets who are homeless because it's easier for them to do. You just let us sit in there. And you've got like this wave of universal mm. credit about to crash and tsunami yeah. even more. Well, it's, it also loops people. back to, you know, when these people get end up on the streets, you know, that's when like sort of issues like mental health can come into play as well. And which then hinders them from getting themselves sorted to try and get back off the street. Oh, and it's just a whole circle of... The, the homeless cir- homelessness circle, isn't it? It's sort of like, you know, mental just health or drugs. Just such a repetitive or, cycle. Yeah, you know. It's like me and Tide were sitting the other day and he was asking me why I voted for Jeremy Corbyn and why I'd vote for Jeremy Corbyn again. I think you might have been there and I was saying, well, Jeremy Corbyn's like the right person to vote for for the country. Mm. And he was like, will it benefit you? And I said, no, conservative government benefits me. And he was like, why? And I said, well, because they're really good with small businesses and corporation tax for small businesses. And they give you quite a lot of things back. And he was like, well, why wouldn't you vote for conservatives? And I said, because that would be a selfish vote for me, but it's 
importance to vote for the people because Corbyn stands for the people. And he said, mm. but that'll cost you more money. And I said, yeah, it will yeah. cost me more money, but I have to make a decision over my greed versus yeah. the need of people. But it's funny because you know you're going to do it and you don't want to be resentful that it's going to up your taxes and all those mm. things. But you do have this sneaking feeling somewhere down below which goes, yeah, it'll just be me as ever paying out even more. Because like yeah. we pay for everything. No. We pay our own sickness. We don't get pensions. We don't do ours. And we do it willingly. And I've never tried to get away from tax evasion. I don't do tax efficiency schemes. I don't try any of that stuff, you know? No. We don't try to get anything. We pay what we should pay and we do it willingly. But I know that when Corbyn gets in, if he gets in, hopefully he will, he's going to slam me and I'm going to lose loads more. And yet the people who are really wealthy, they're just going to like yeah. kind of keep on coasting and getting away with it. And you just think that's the thing. Like we can talk all we want about idealism and what's needed, globalism, and what's real and, and possible, which is absolutely everyone eating and drinking and none of us having to struggle. But it comes down to what you said, like power and greed. It's just never mm. going to be the way. I mean, the more we've delved into sort of <coughs> different businesses and trying to get things off the ground and stuff, the more corrupt and greedy and criminal sort of people I've, we've come across. So just... Oh, my God. Just, it is just a whole different... One day we'll tell that story. One oh, well. day we'll tell that story. We can't tell that story now because we're still on the journey. Yeah. But justice will prevail. It will. And we'll tell our story then. And yeah. the people who think that they're hidden and think they're getting away with that kind of corruption, they'll Oh, they'll certainly be outed. That that isn't the way. And they'll have their moment. Yeah. That's the way karma works. But Absolutely. until then, we'll just keep our heads down, keep working hard. Yeah. And keep them positive. <laughs> I think, like, I'm kind of, like, positive i am positive but i'm also really honest that it has been difficult yeah it is and it has been life is difficult you know it is difficult we can all say that you know and as this podcast is called it's like you're trying to make sense of it all which no. is impactable, impossible and impractical and just not, <laughs> not going to ever happen, ever. But as we have our mantra in our heart, in our, um, in our life, and it's food in my belly, roof over my head, warmth in my love in my heart, and we're the richest people in the world. And that's what we say. Absolutely. All the time. True. And that's how True. it stands. Cool. Um, so lesson for today, apart from the fact that it wasn't a very funny podcast... Not that I'm suggesting that I'm a comic genius and that Pete's a comic genius and secretly you just spend the whole time laughing at us. But what I mean is like usually we inject a little bit of humour. But there hasn't been a lot of humour to inject today. But we've kind of been rounding up. And as ever, the more negative stuff kind of sits with you when you talk about things initially. And I'm sure when we've talked this out in the next few weeks, we'll go back to our light, almost indifferent sense of Absolutely. not really knowing what we're talking about or why we're yeah. talking about it. Yes. But ne never mind. And I'll tell you then about my most painful facial ever I'm still dealing with the swelling just saying <laughs> I'm still traumatised anyway we'll talk about that next time take care guys look after yourself see ya keep